Hi and welcome to the podcast You're Having Tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Gordon Southern, who is an excellent friend, friend of the podcast. If you're a friend of the podcast, patreon.com slash Alice Fraser is the place to go to read my blogs or to give me money for this. It helps pay for the tea and for the hosting costs, which is a, a fucking delight to be honest. I'm sorry to swear. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. It's my podcast. But if you don't have money or you're not interested in my blogs, oh, I mean, you can just read the blogs for free, but uh, you can also retweet this uh, when I put put it up, or you can tell friends that you like it, or you can put a five-star review on iTunes, or you can send me an email at alicerfraser at gmail.com, or you can tweet me at alliterative A-L-I-T. A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E is my Twitter handle. If you're in Edinburgh, I'm there from Monday. Uh, For the full month of August, I'll be doing The Resistance at the Gilded Balloon at 8.15. If you have friends in Edinburgh, send them there, or friends who are thinking of going to Edinburgh. I'm also in the last week of the festival from the 20th doing Savage at midday at the City Cafe. If you are in Sydney, I'm filming The Resistance on the 9th of September for the ABC, which is terrifying and amazing and really cool and exciting, but I would like to do it in not an empty room. I'm sure I could make a funny joke of the fact that I was doing it to nobody, but I would prefer to do it to a full room of people. So if you're in Sydney or have friends in Sydney, send them there on the 9th of September. And if you are in Melbourne, I'll be doing, from the 4th to the 9th of October, a run at the Butterfly Club of The Resistance. That's it from me. That's all the kind of plugging I wanted to do. You can follow me on Facebook or Twitter or uh, Instagram. I don't really... I'm not great at Instagram. I feel the kind of... I'm I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Watch me learn how to use Instagram well, properly. And other than that, I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation that I had with Gordon Southern as much as I enjoyed having it. We were sitting downstairs in Yumcha, which is a lovely cafe in London. I'm plugging them because they let me record my podcast there. It's unfortunate because I've done a couple of podcasts there and they're a little bit noisy, but I like them so much. They're really nice and they have a lot of different kinds of tea and tea cake, as you'll hear. And I enjoy going there. So... I hope you also go there if you're in London. I don't mind plugging them. They're like a sponsor in that they gave me tea in exchange for money and let me record my podcast for free. You're having tea with Alice. So it's a green tea cake, cake with tea in it. You're having tea squared? Mm Mm-hmm. Like tea too, but... (laughs) <laughs> the two is a little two. Two is a little two. And um, um, how was the writing gig in Sydney? Was it Sydney or Melbourne? Um, Melbourne. I was writing for the project. Good? Yeah, it was good fun. Excellent. I enjoyed it. Um, Did you fly back especially for that? Uh, no, I flew back for a number of other reasons, but they're secret and I can't talk about them. Excellent. So the, writing gig, so the writing gig is the reason. The writing gig is totally the reason. Uh, it's because I'm famous and they wanted me. Um, so you're drinking cappuccino, not a tea, not in tea mood. No, I, I've not had any coffee yet today, so I figured that would give me the necessary oomph to turn an ordinary conversation into a podversation. <laughs> I'm get, I'm turning this off now. I'm turning <laughs> this microphone off. Now. Sorry, I've been obsessed with these compound words after the Brexit oh and the God. Remain. Um, that's. Something has happened recently, has it? Or has it always been? I think they've always been around. And because of the internet, they become currency and then fall out of favour very quickly. Like Bitcoin, which is also a compound word. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, the man bag, the bromance. Yeah, guy liner. Guy liner. Which is kind of, it's weird. Like All of these words are masculine. And then we're going, there's five words that are feminine. We want male versions because yeah. we're insecure that we don't own all the language. I always found that interesting where the urge for women to be taken seriously is to defeminize the word, like mm. actresses who want to get called actors, actors. Masse- masseuses who want to be called masseuses. We've talked masseurs. about this before. Like have you we? have to say a male stripper because you yeah. assume that a stripper is a woman. Yeah, and, 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 and at the same time, there's this urge for men to masculinize things that are seen as feminine it's as just well. a, It's just a language land grab, which is what men are all about, territorial yeah. behaviour. But the, the women's urge with the land grab is to... Is to, to assimilate. Strip, strip their... Yeah, to assimilate yeah. into the status quo, which I'm all for, you know. 
assimilation. I prefer mankind to... In- to humankind. Yeah, or man and womankind. Like, I prefer... Man and womankind just sounds like... So you can get into all sorts of trouble with this, and I'll tell you how I know, mm. because I went to the Lambeth County show uh, in Brockwell Park, where I live, and it's so weird, because I think of it as my private garden, mm-hmm. and suddenly 10,000 people turn up and start smoking weed and looking at owls, but I was cool <laughs> with it. However, they had an exhibition game of Quidditch. Oh, wow. Uh, where a load of... I don't want to <coughs> cast dispersions, but I'm pretty sure they were all Australians and Kiwis. <laughs> turned up, straddled... Uh, nylon broomsticks without brooms on because they got in the way and they're not very eco-friendly and then they set up the three hoops and they played this game that was a cross between dodgeball and kabaddi if you're familiar with any of these words and the host got into all sorts of trouble going in Quidditch we want it to be non-gender specific so at any point you need to have uh, three people who are male and three people who are female or who recognise themselves as a different gender. Yeah. And I thought that was wonderful, but it just took forever to explain that Quidditch is non-gender specific. Well, look, I think... I mean, I've spoken about this before on this podcast and it's, um, you, I refer you to The Illusionist by Helen Zaltzman, which is an excellent podcast about language. Right. Which was where I reinforce this fact, um, which is that man was originally the gender-neutral form, mm. and then women are weaving men, and where men are war men, as in... And these are ones that, so masculine by the light of a full moon, turn into women. <laughs> well, turn into men. Um, <laughs> uh, where men being the, yeah, that they're, you are warlike. Oh, right. And so... A, a, or rather, and, and so that's the term, like, werewolves is like man-wolves. So a man will war and a woman will weave. Yeah. But they are both men. Mm. Excellent. I prefer that. I think that would have made the Quidditch even clearer. Well, because otherwise, <laughs> you, have to retro- otherwise you have to look at history and feel left oh. out of it. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Yeah. Um, you know, one small step for mankind. One, you know, of course. I is would that, rather... Is it like Monty Python? What about the row women? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> want to retcon it. I would rather just be included by definition because that's actually what, you know, the word means. We're a species with two or multiple genders now within that species. It's as though we had the word people and then we said femme people and man people. Yeah. And then now people has become purely masculine Oh, no, I think people, for me, would mean all folk. Well, that's what I mean. I think mankind should also mean all folk. Just, I just think it's easier to strip it of its kind it's of... also folk's kind of masculine, but it does mean everyone. Mm. You get men folk and woman folk. Women folk. I don't know. People folk. That's not a very British thing folk to music. say. Folk music. That's more American, isn't that's it? That's very folky American. Folky, folky. Folky, So, yeah, um. Quidditch. I didn't even mention that on Things I Did. Watch Quidditch. You watched tick. Quidditch. Yes. It sounds like, I mean, I don't know, it sounds like a lot of fun, but the whole running around with a stick between your legs just sounds like a recipe for getting disastrously crotched. I think you could get crotched, although it appears to be, apart from the dodgeball element, it's not a contact sport. So yeah, they're but running still around. Running with yeah, I mean, there's a hazard. Like, running in a team scenario is already a risk for falling over I or doing your you knees. If you get too close to an opponent, you're allowed to just, you know stretch your legs a bit and let the stick fall to safety. I didn't watch it for very long. I mean, it just seems like an unnecessarily... And, I mean, given that it doesn't play a role, I don't know, having not watched the game. The Does only the role stick it plays play a role is if you're imagining Quidditch, you go, oh, it's like they're on broomsticks. It also means they don't run as fast, which might be safer. Which might be safer, but also it's like saying, I'm going to go do skateboarding but I'll hold knives while I do it. Like, yeah, there's, fair there's point. You're just adding an element of jeopardy that doesn't I love roller really skates and javelin, but what if I did them at the same time? Yeah, there's no mm. reason, like, if you want it to look like Quidditch, that you couldn't have, like, soft foam brooms or something. That would make more sense. Yeah, like a cosplay uh, Dungeons & Dragons type thing yeah, where everyone gets a foam sword. That was just tokenistic. But I mean, if yeah. you were using the sticks to hit things with, then you have the... Well, I didn't stick around for, you know, the game evolves where the bludgers and then someone turns into a snitch and they get given a, a tennis ball in a sock and they run around and everyone chases them. So it was fairly true to the original dream of J.K. Rowling. Except, as with many things that are cool in movies, when translated into real life, 
When translated Very to uncool. a county show where lots of people drinking well, you think about big containers of cider are looking on with indifference at best. You think about uh, the long leather coat in The Matrix. Yeah. Which is like, there's many things that look cool in movies. The, one, the example that I always use is like battle-honed reflexes and a collection of knives, which sounds really good in fiction, but in real life just means you're a jumpy fucker with a knife collection. in like a high terrifying. school, it means things are about it's to go really south. really upsetting. Yeah. And you meet somebody who's like that, it, they're not it's fun to be around. It's weird that the high school lone gunman has appropriated that costume. Yeah. It's like, oh, I want to look like the Matrix and do somersaults in slow motion while shooting people who I think have done me wrong, but it's probably all in my head. Yeah, dark, mysterious <laughs> person, like all that whole, like that idea of yourself as a dark, mysterious hero. Yeah. Like if you're actually going out with that person. It's like just a guy in a probably a three-quarter length leather jacket that he hasn't cleaned recently. Sweaty, ooh, <laughs> sweaty. And they can't have a chat because they're too busy being broody. And I wanted to talk about the summer. This would be very inappropriate for the weather we are currently enjoying in the UK. We are yes. We are in the middle of at least a three-day heat wave. Wow. London has lost its tiny mind. Women are walking up and down, dabbing their faces so that they don't mush the makeup. There are men in shorts. There are neon legs. There's, yeah, it's the red amazing. tap means hot and the blue tap means hot for two days only. It's a wonderful it's time. It's a beautiful thing. And I was so lucky to be in Lewis on the south coast yesterday previewing my show. And the moon rose while the sun was still up. Ooh, that always scares me because I'm like, what are they doing on the other side of the world? They've got nothing. But they're in pitch darkness. Yeah, terrible. But that's Australia. Sad. And they get enough summer, frankly. Because <laughs> right. I was thinking, I spend most of my summers in Australia where a hot day is expected yes. a sausage sizzle isn't exceptional it's just something that happens at bunnings warehouse or indeed at elections whereas here in the uk barbecues it's almost like a drill that we we, we practice and practice indoors and then the sun comes out and go right mobilize the grills get the sausages well, prepare the salad i voted uh, in the uk for the first time for uh, for the australian elections remote voting as it were yep. i went to the place and did the thing and was there a sizzle uh, australia no, there house wasn't there no. wasn't but literally everyone i heard talking in the line was like shame there's no there's sausage no sausages here. and i was like holy shit next election next time the election rolls around do it. i'm going to put a bloody sausage or sizzle cart do it on really the british corner. and have like a little packet of 20 cocktail sausages that you can get at railway stations no no i'm gonna get like primary school kids to run a sausage sizzle and just make a oh, killing so so the, they're working pretty much for free or charity well, the patriotism the element is that like most of the election places in australia are in primary schools or local halls or and, right. and it's usually the kids outside who are kids running a sausage sizzle. as well no, it's usually the parents who run the sausage sizzle right, and the okay. kids who do the kind of the shilling of like bringing <laughs> people in and right, roll up, roll up. Yeah, and and so I think you, if you, and you, I mean, it's the middle of the city, it's the middle of London. You get a cart and you sell them for what four quid, something outrageous. And they're worth pennies. They're, they're made out of old newspapers. Exactly. And goose fat. Not you do goose it fat. like That's properly. That's quite a luxury thing. Onions Pig for the snouts. smell. Yeah. And 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 I think that would make. An enormous amount of money. There's also, when you look at how democracy has failed both the British and with the current situation in Australia, the people of Australia, having a sort of pink porky phallus inserted into you while you engage in the democratic process. Well, it's, it's you know, <laughs> it's very good metaphor. You don't want to see what's inside either of them. You, you don't, don't want to see the workings out. You like the idea of it, but when you bite into it, you realise it was a mistake. It might be carcinogenic, and yet we still continue to swallow it. Because it seems now that it's free, we pay later, or our children do. Made by knobs and eaten by idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Democracy. Democracy. Sausages. No different. Nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing at all different. I, yeah, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed voting uh, here. I enjoyed the sort of feeling of being part of an international network of people with opinions. Apparently more people in Australia put penises on their ballot paper than in ever any previous election. Well, that's because they've got sausages on the mind. They've got sausages <laughs> on the mind. But I think because in Australia, and I kind of like that voting is mandatory, but if you want to soil your ballot paper, that is also a valid <laughs> statement about your take on democracy. But you're now facing a l narrow liberal... It's not going to last long. It's built on sand, right? The whole of everything is built on sand. I mean, we've gone through five prime ministers in four years or something like that. It's yeah. insane. 
So it, I can imagine a conversation between like, you know, the Australian Prime Minister and the England football manager <laughs> both talking about job security and going, I mean, it's I'm not so glad it's, it's one day at a time, isn't it? One day at a time. <laughs> I mean, at least they don't have to move house as quickly. Um, in, I mean, you guys had that thing where he had to move out in like two days, David Cameron? Oh, David Cameron. It sounds like he already had his rucksack packed. All right, psychologically. <laughs> once the, uh, once I mean, the joke that I was doing about it, it was a very footbally joke, but I feel that David Cameron, as the incumbent Prime Minister, trying to put through the more sensible and statistically backed up with facts option of remaining in Europe, failed. He missed an open goal politically ah. or a goal with England's Joe Hart in it, which was technically the same thing. It's a football joke, hence your the furrowed brow. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand it as a football joke, but I'm sure it's a very good it's joke. It's a quality football joke. Uh, what is it about football? Tell me about football. Well, it's kind of... It's what one is of good about it's it? It's one of our opiates, I'd say. Mm. The, the English people especially get right into their football. And when there's an international tournament, there's that patriotic fervour and terror that we're going to perform badly. You sublimated the war urge into a sports urge. Very much. And so, you know, there's always great excitement when we take on one of our traditional enemies from the theatre of war, which is almost anyone if you go back far enough. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, the Italians, oh, there's definitely some, oh, there's the Napoleonic Wars, let's take on the French. The Germans, of course, the traditional enemy of the 20th century. But we'll, we'll find something. Well, the Germans are sort of done quite well in redeeming themselves culturally. I think so. But for, the, for the English, as, as a former superpower, you know, the humiliation in, in sporting arenas I mean, of being bested by our former colonies. It's terrible. <laughs> Australia did that. Australia do it regularly. I, I think, think we, we did that our first. Our cricket team are currently being beaten by Pakistan, which was also a former colony as part of the whole Indian subcontinent. We just... We... we uh, we were greedy. We were like men with names of things. We appropriated everything for ourselves. And now you're bearing the consequences. Yeah. Which is, um, have you seen the new Ghostbusters movie? I have not. Speaking of appropriating. Yeah. Although... It's, I'm good that it's, it's good that it's Ghostbusters and not Ghostbustresses. Ah, <laughs> Ghostbusty. Um, <laughs> uh... I, I think, oh yeah, Ghostbusters, yeah. Ghostbusters. See, Bustresses sounds like they're just busy with pinnies going, can I, are you finished with these ghosts? Can I tidy <laughs> them away for you? Would you like your check? I was thinking about this in this weird way where we're at a time, I mean, let's narrow this down to uh, Western first world countries. Because the, one that, one the ones that we the live in. The ones that we live in, where... Because if you start to look at women across the globe, you know, it's still yeah, phenomenally there's further bad. struggles going on. I, I think one in four women worldwide, and I, I read this statistic and I may have it wrong, so I may remember it wrong, but something painful. One in four women worldwide is a child bride. One in four. Worldwide. Do you know what? That's insane. And things are so bad globally. I was expecting the stat to be like one in four women is currently on fire. <laughs> or, you know, is currently being strangled by her brother because she went online. Like there's yeah, some yeah, terrible yeah. stuff going so on. So that like underage getting married to. And, and if you think one about the number in of. Four. In, in, in if you think about the number of women who you know who were child brides, which is. I know none, very few. I don't think I know any child brides. Then there's places in the world where the numbers are a lot higher than one in four. I know of one because it was very famous when the bass player from the Rolling Stones married a 17-year-old who he'd been seeing since she was 14. Oh, and in Australia, there's, there's some Riverland stuff went on in South Australia. Uh -huh. So I know that one of my aunties was in a committed, loving sexual relationship from the age of 14 Oof. with her then husband. So I mean, technically two. Italy is, uh, age of consent is 14, so I don't know how I feel about that. But Is that for... Men and women, because I think in the UK there's a kind of weird. It's 16 for girls and it's 16 ish for boys. But the Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, but laws. If, if they're legends, it's fine. Like it's a really yeah, weird thing. That's a, that is a super weird thing. But the other thing, I mean, if we're cutting it out of the whole world and, and the struggles of women outside of the first world, um, we have a weird situation where there are so many different 
standards in both directions? Well, I'm also thinking now that, you know, with gay marriage becoming a first world thing, when will be there be the first gay child brides? Is that a step in the right or the wrong direction? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the, the more, I think the more <laughs> child brides, the worse it is, objectively. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think... Equal rights. Equal rights. <laughs> equal rights to be horribly damaged by excessively uh, young introduction to things that you shouldn't know anything about until you're older. Um, I think my thing is that in the first world here, there are standards now where women are still have it a lot harder than men in some places. Absolutely. And it's still really hard to get their voices heard. And in other areas, they get away, we get away with a huge amount of bad behaviour. Such as? Such as, uh, st- you know, when, when, you know, everyone has a guy who's like, oh, that, that she went crazy. Yeah. Right. And what they mean is she was abusive. Like behaviour right. that women kind of gets trivialised when women do it. Showing up at three o'clock in the morning, screaming at your doorstep and so on and so forth. If a man did it, he would be in jail like that. You know, it's this, there is so a double standard oh wow, for the bad behaviour. double standard of, of, uh, and violence, I suppose, as well. Absolutely. If a woman slaps a man in the face and a man slaps a, man a woman does, in the face. A man face, cannot retaliate. Yeah. And that's something that was sort of hardwired into me as a kid. Is if, if a woman hits you, you just have to stand there and sort of blink back the tears and then and then say something pithy and walk off. Yeah. That's what I was told to do. Well this is and and of course because of the physical differential. The other way to get around really. it is to encourage them to join a Quidditch team with you, <laughs> train them up and then get your revenge by throwing a ball into their face as w- as sublimate, as you're allowed to do within the, the rules of the, the game. Sublimate the war urge into a into, into a, a football sport, match. Into say a sport, yeah. if, if England wins this match you'll do the dishes if <laughs> Um, yeah, but then, you know, men's way of Germany dealing wins this match, I'll stop being such a fucking bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but then for a man, if you sort of find yourself at the receiving end of this kind of behaviour, you are kind of encouraged to shut down, mm. causing m- great emotional problems further down the road when those emotions finally bubble to the surface, often in an uncontrolled way. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not saying... I'm not saying that men should hit women. That is absolutely 100% not the <laughs> point of this argument. Uh, let me just put that on the table. I'm not saying that. Any, I'm saying that nobody should hit anybody. Correct. But and but also that there are a lot of people who are getting away with really bad behaviour because they are women. But I think I- in the grand scheme of things, it's a minority, and so it's not a massive problem. But it isn't. It is. I it's don't one that think isn't it's addressed a is the only thing. Yeah, it's the point is that there, are, there is an inequality and there's more and more of these points of inequality where women... So, for example, look at marketing to women. When we see... You see marketing to women where it's all pink and frilly and everything and that gets called out online and people are like, oh, marketing, it's so bad to women, blah, blah, blah. It's bullying us and telling us how to be. Fuck that. And but then it you hardwired into me. Oh, I had a choice earlier of buying a pink or a blue glockenspiel and I got a blue one o- automatically. But blue then glock. My point is that then you see the marketing that's aimed at men and, and people make fun of that marketing being like, ooh, masculinity is so fragile. Men can't handle, you know, like the, you can't handle just having a face cream. It has to be a man face cream. Men are so weak. Hence these words, man bag, yeah, guy yeah, liner yeah. And, so and so on. Both of those things ex- are exactly the same thing. It's capitalism giving you two products where you could have one so that, Exactly, but also capitalism is realising now that there's quite sort of fluid gender lines and so they go, oh, there's, there's all kinds of spectrums of people of gender and let's let's make sure we're selling things to all of them. Yeah, but that's I've just capitalism. It's a beast that exists for that single I'm purpose. I'm always, always super wary of something that aligns too well with capitalism and I think, <laughs> I think identity politics, appealing though it is, is one of those things that really easily ties into capitalism. Do you know capitalism. why? Because identity politics belongs to people who can afford to worry about identity politics rather than where the next meal comes from. Well, <laughs> uh, well, because then or where the, they're going to live. The idea that your identity needs to be displayed mm. is is a very and display costs money. Powerful idea, and it yeah, exactly, because it tucks really easily into capitalism. There's no incentive for capitalism to dismantle that idea. I'm not saying that identity is not important. I'm saying you have to be careful when there's capitalism involved. Yes, like because capitalism will make you pay. Feminism 
one of the reasons that feminism has been such a successful movement is because it means there's twice as many people earning and spending money. And yet pay is not... Doesn't matter. ...on a par for men and women. I mean, that's a slightly more complicated issue than it is presented as because, you know, the reality is that women both are forced into and tend to choose more flexible... And less secure jobs on the understanding that they may at some point need time off to yeah. raise a family. And also a lot of the qualities that, that lead people up the ladder of corporate life are, because the ladder of corporate life was built by men originally, yes. the qualities that are rewarded in that environment, which I think is pathological. I don't think anyone should it's be working in a It's weird that it's a corporate ladder, not a corporate elevator, <laughs> because men go, well, I can climb a ladder. I'm not wearing a skirt. No one's going to look up it. <laughs> should be a corporate elevator. It should be a corporate <laughs> elevator with a glass bottom. Um, <laughs> not a glass ceiling. Not a glass ceiling. <laughs> a glass bottom so that people can still look up the skirts of the ladies. Um, the, that's Do you know you've reminded me of there was a thing I saw on the TV a few years ago. It's like a musical about business life in America in the 50s. And one of the, the hit songs was A Secretary Is Not A Toy. Holy crap. And it was a real upbeat. It wasn't a dark number. It was a real upbeat number. Like, you've got a secretary... Don't play with them. You should be at work, you cheeky executive. Wow, that is brutal. So things have moved on slightly. They have moved on slightly. (laughs) Um, But I think, yeah, that's one of the weird things where people sort of are arguing for things like women in the armed services. Women should be allowed to fight on the front line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I sort of think, well, I guess so, but I don't think anyone should be fighting. Well, obviously people shouldn't be fighting. Let's get more women in Fortune 500 companies. Do you know the rates of depression in places like that? Why are we fighting, like, you know what I mean? Why are we fighting to prop up these institutions by introducing twice as many people to them rather than dismantle them or re-examine them or take them to pieces and put them back together in a better way? Well, yesterday, historically, I think, and this hasn't happened since we had Thatcher in charge, Theresa May was asked in the House of Commons when they were discussing whether we should renew our Trident nuclear deterrent, someone said directly, would you press the button? Would you kill hundreds of thousands of innocent people if necessary? And she said, yes, yes, I would. So that's the Prime Minister. So finally, there's equality. There's a woman able to butcher on a mass scale. That used to be dude stuff. Yeah, that was... So, yeah, exactly. This is this weird thing where we have a society that was for reasons of mainly biology, because women were really busy doing other shit, built by men, the kind of the superstructure, like the base, if you think of it in a kind of Marxist terms, the, a lot of the basic labour of keeping everyone alive was done by women. You know, the, well, the weaving and the keeping the life, things clean. And then the preservation of that life was down to the men. Cooking used to take fucking seven hours to yeah, make something yeah. decent, you know, like, and keeping things clean meant that you would lo- live or die before we had antibiotics. That was genuinely keeping things clean. So the women's job was to create and preserve the life, and then the men's job was to protect... And so then you have the superstructure yeah. of, like, society and culture, which is actually a luxury that is requires the base. So because of that particular distribution of labour, men got to pick how institutions were built, right? Mm. And so masculine qualities are embedded in these institutions and rewarded by these institutions. Like, you get to be a CEO by being a cutthroat, <laughs> like brutal asshole to, with to be, no yeah, remorse. To be more ruthless than the other CEOs around you. And so now there's this massive rush for women to go and get up to that level, to join but that are party. are women as instinctively and biologically com- as combative as men? Well, I mean, Women I should women be allowed to f- fight be. on the front line, but do they really want to? Yeah, but this is the do. thing, like, and, and women are capable of doing those things, but again, why? Why are we wanting to, like, other than just a sense of having been left out, why yeah. do you want to be a CEO of a Fortune 500 com- company? It's a shit job. Like, I guess you get lots of money, but we know that no m- more than a certain amount of money doesn't actually make you happier. So why? <laughs> like, other than a sense of like, what's, well, the, what's the, man the happiness can, point for money? Is there a is there a I figure th- on it? I think it's. Uh, I thought it was seven pound fifty last I uh, checked per hour. I think it's something like uh, s- between seventy thousand and a hundred thousand a year. Is is the happiness? Is the point index. beyond which it stops making a huge difference right, to your okay. happiness? Yeah. Um, is that dollars or pounds? I don't. I can't remember. I okay. think it might be American dollars. I don't uh, know where the study be, was done. They're the kind of people who'd, who'd be excited about achieving. Oh, I suppose the American dream 
sweet noise bleed from upstairs. Yeah, was that a smoothie being made? Do you know why? It's the summer. We're losing our minds. We're putting ice in our beverages. It's, a, it's a, a, an amazing thing. Normally it just been, forms spontaneously. I've been listening to a, a fascinating podcast about war recently, and it does seem to be that war is, is like a, a sausage machine that men get ground up in. Yeah. And then it's just so that we can create more men. Yeah. <laughs> Because there seems to be a, surf, uh, what's a surplus mm. of men. And, and as a man in the 21st century, I realise at my age, I might well be surplus to requirements. So I'm clinging on to what little career opportunities I still have. What do you mean surplus left. to requirements? Well, I'm not vital. I'm not needed in the theatre of war. And I wouldn't be that useful. I've got a dodgy hip. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you need to do in that situation is become a general. And then... You sit around and point. That's, and go, that's you your job. Go over there and... and be, be brutally murdered by someone you have more in common with than you could ever imagine. Yeah. <laughs> you have more in common with the person you're about to kill than with me, for sure, mate. Yes, because I own you, whereas you, you two are both, you know, in the struggle. Which is, I mean, and again, I don't want to get, like, binary about men versus women because I have more in common with you than I do with, for example, a 14-year-old a girl in Nairobi. Thanks. But, I mean, the, the, the <laughs> if we're talking that. about absolute differences, there are a lot of different <laughs> directions in which you can cut a cake. Yeah. And we, the ones that we choose, like racial or, you know, gender differences, and I, I think are not always as important as we think they are. Well, at the moment, I'm, I'm you know, watching the news roll in and realising more than ever how we are spoon-fed exactly what kind of news they want to feed us. Oh, God, the And news. It, the divisions appear to be sort of being torn in all parts of society because with the Brexit there was like the UK breaking away from Europe and that also causes divisions within the UK because Scotland want very little to do with the the Brexit vote yeah and then with the horrifying events in Nice there's a degree of separation between the Muslim and non-Muslim world I was going to say the Christian world but I don't think the Christian world truly exists I think the Christian world is something that died maybe midway through the last century. I think, it, I think it died during World War II. I think that's when people realised that Christianity wasn't really their thing anymore. They yeah. were fighting for territory, they were fighting for sovereign states, they were fighting for ideals, political rather than religious. Mm. And then the Muslim world, at the extreme end, comes along and goes, actually, no, we've got some religious ideals as well and we're going to disseminate them mostly peacefully, but a, you know, a tiny bleeding edge of the Muslim world is going to do it through violence mm. and that terrifies you know yeah, Europe especially there's a little bit of an element I mean with with uh, what what is is happening uh, is a lot like, like revenge for the at Crusades an airport in Turkey and the European media went oh that's pretty tragic because Turkey is kind of in Asia so it felt remote mm. but someone goes crazy in Nice in France Everyone's putting trickle laws on their Facebook feed again. Yeah, and yeah. it's so strange that they go, well, Asia's not really our thing, Europe's our thing. And so you're getting these, I guess in times of economic hardship, people just protect what little they have yeah, left. Yeah, you see and where the lines... And start to snarl yeah. like yard dogs if they I think someone's going to encroach on it. The whole thing about the kind of, as you say, the, the Muslim world versus a sort of a non-existent Christian world. We don't really world. have a world. I think we're, we're, we're trying to find meaning. We're going, well, maybe it's my gender that defines me. Uh, and so there's even more fragmentation. It's fascinating because it's like, it's like the fight that we thought was over. We thought it was done with the Crusades. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that was the kind of more or less the end of our fight with the Muslims. And they've come back like, it's like that person who bullied you. Do you think they really played the long game? They go, we'll leave it a couple of hundred imagine years. Imagine you were a high school bully and you thought you'd got away with it and then 30 years later someone knocks on your door. I think that's kind of what's happening. Islam turns up. Oh my good, you look different, Islam. Yeah, I've been working out, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, how are you? And they're like, we have some unfinished business. And you're like, really? I don't. That happened to me when I was a kid. Funnily enough, there was a kid at my school called Darren and because I was quite a fat junior, yeah. I give him a hard time. And then when he hit puberty, he rocketed to six foot two. And bless him, he came around my house, knocked on my door and said, I'd like to fight you. And we had to have a kind of semi-formal fight. We found, uh, you know, we didn't do it in my garden because I thought that would be a home field advantage. Yeah. So we went to a little patch of grass outside Nick Thurston's house, about 10 doors away. And we had a little rough and tumble. And I knew I was going to lose. And I let him win. And then that was the end of it. I just think Islam could learn something from that. 
be more like Darren. Are, are you suggesting that the Christian world throws the fight? Just to well, make Darren we- feel a bit better about his... I think maybe we should have a fight on neutral territory. Okay. I don't know where that would be. Iraq? But somewhere... <laughs> well, we tried that. <laughs> and it's not neutral. No. No, it's not. But I think I'm basically trying to say is that terrorism is bad, okay? Yeah, guys. Don't, don't terrorist. Don't terrorist. And that's good advice generally. I think it is. Uh, what, do you have to head off? Oh, I have to go quite soon. How are we doing for time? Oh, I'm good for a wee bit. Okay, good. Uh, so... Other than that, have you had any ideas that you've been wrestling with? I have had a really interesting time with my show, which we discussed a little bit in the last podcast, Mm -hmm. because it's about my father's dementia. Yes. And I've been really working to make sure this is a That you don't forget the words. That I don't forget the words. Zing. Zing. um, Because dementia can be hereditary. So that's hilarious, eventually. But I had a chap at the show last night, and he lost his father to dementia... And I get home from the gig and he's written me a long email about how he thought he'd dealt with his father's death, but the show made him cry and laugh. And I felt awful that I'd upset him. But there was a little tiny part of me, the performer, the writer in me went, oh, I'm sat on something amazing here. If I can cause laughter and tears simultaneously, this is the ultimate entertainment experience. Yeah, so I, I felt like I'd really reached out and helped him and also quite shallow that I was, you know, almost gaining pleasure. From his pain. From his pain, yeah. I mean, I had that a lot with Savage. Yeah. And I think the point where I had a kind of a crisis of confidence, I mean, I had a discussion with my brother about it. He wasn't really happy about me doing it. Um, Because he, you know, there's a couple of things, which is like I was telling a story which was also his story. Yep the very very narrow slice that i took of the story because it's a it's a it's a you know what do they call them like where they take a thing and put it on a microscope it's a very narrow so i'm going to go slice yes <laughs> it's a very narrow part of the story i'm only telling one line one very thin line in what is a three dimensional sort of mass mm. so of course it's not going to properly reflect Reality. Because you're trying to move along a narrative. You're trying to make entertainment. Well, any story, any story, by definition, cuts out most of what happens. If you describe what you're looking at, even in just your field of view, it's almost impossible well, to. No, isn't there a lot of 17th and 18th century novelists who did that? And they went, it was a beautiful day. And then they describe in enormous detail how lovely the day was. And then your hero walks into the frame and yeah. has a Madeleine cake, and it's delicious. Yes. So delicious. They remember stuff from ages ago. Exactly Next thing that. you know, the book is as thick as a sofa that you sat on. it's taken two and a half minutes <laughs> of real time. But I felt... So I understand why he was not happy about it. Because then the story that's told by definition becomes more powerful than the stories that are not told. Things that are said are more powerful than things that are not said. Yes. Uh, and so then there's a sort of a bullying element or, you know, taking of his choice out of, of what story gets told out because of the Because he doesn't have a right to reply unless he jumps up on stage with you. Yeah, as a As a reveal, which would be great but expensive to take him to these festivals. Yeah. I'm the brother and I object. And I object what to this. What a finale. This. That would be good. Uh, it would actually be quite good as a moose and head then you play to do Quidditch. a contradiction <laughs> show. But I think that... The one thing, the one event from an audience member that got me was a lady who came up to me about midway through Edinburgh and said, hi. Everyone hugged me after the show. That was kind of the the norm. Um, She gave me a hug and I said, hi, how are you? And what brought you to the show? And she said, I came with my daughter. And I went, oh, I'm sorry. Did did you know what the show was about? And she said, no, we had no idea. We just picked it because it Uh was close and at the right time. And she said, I came with my daughter because I got diagnosed with cancer today. Oh, my goodness. And I thought I wanted something to cheer me up. Because that's what comedy is supposed to do. Yeah. And and I said, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And she went, oh, no, no, it's good. It's good. But I didn't know if she meant it or not. And that gave me a real, like, ooh... I don't know about then, this. Because I was wrestling with this last night. Because this, this because I didn't, didn't want to put yeah. it on the front. I didn't want people to know what they were in for. Because that takes away the surprise, and also it might stop people coming. They yeah. Go, I don't. I don't really want to have a downer. 
yeah. want, I want laughs, 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 laughs. Whereas you're there as, a, as an artist going, no, you're going to laugh, 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 think, maybe have a little contemplative moment, and then in a perfect world, big laugh at the end to release that tension. Yeah. Because that's the most nourishing laugh of them all. Yeah. But this guy didn't come for a hug. I said to him, if we should have a hug afterwards from on stage. But he waited until I got home and then wrote me a long Facebook message because that's what blokes do, I suppose. That is... <coughs> that's a weird thing to do. Mm. But I do get, I, I get the long sort of email message. Did, did you reply? Did you... Of course I did. And I tried to sort of be as conciliatory as possible and say, you know, I hope I, I didn't, you know, mess with... Because he said... And I quote, because it was quite a lovely image, he went, the trouble is, even if you handle it with great delicacy, you are trying to gently take the lid off a Coke bottle that has been shaken up for two hours. So no matter how you twist it and how gently you take that lid off. Yeah, I had that this morning when Facebook threw up an image of two years ago today, which was the last time we took mum for a swim. Oh, wow. And so I just, you know, as you do in these modern d degenerate times, woke up, rolled over, reached over the side of the bed, pulled up my phone and got a bit of a shock. And there it was. And I think that's sort of nice in one way, but also... But isn't that weird of Facebook to make you look through an album of old photos? But then that's that thing of like, well, I didn't know that I, w I, didn't know that I was going to begin today by having a bit of a cry. Yeah. And and in the same way, people coming to my show didn't know didn't know that they were going to have a bit of a cry, even though that was something that at least I mean on an average night about a third of my audience would have tears. So I knew that that was what they were in for. But they don't. They don't. And so then there's this thing which Did is you sort issue of issue a warning. Yeah, well, kind of you try to obliquely without ruining the art of it or the narrative structure of it mention in the blurb that it's tragic comedy or that it's more than comedy or that it's something you need to make you might cry sound alluring <laughs> you know uh, and i don't know how to do that i'm not good at that but then entertainment is el elucidating a emotional response of some kind be it laughter or tears i think these are all you know for i can't sound anything less than very wanky about this but you know these are all paints on your palette that you can use yeah yeah. I mean, I think that, but then there are people who don't want that. That's yeah. not what they you want. Go, if I wanted to see something upsetting, I'd have gone to a theatre show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas you are in the comedy section. And there's that thing where people would come to me and say, you should do this as a one-woman show. You could, should do this at theatre festivals. And I can think of nothing that I would want to do less because part of the power of that show it's for me was that it was disguised as something else. Yeah. Also, this is weird, because if you, if you see the world in these, goes, if, if I want to cry, I'll go and see theatre. If I want to laugh, I'll go and see comedy. What about, you know, the puppetry section? I don't know what it is. I can't trust it. No puppets. No puppets. <laughs> they like people, but not people. Dance. Might make me cry, might make me laugh. No dance. No dance. Yeah. Unless they're theater sexy for dancers. crying. Theatre for crying, comedy for laughing, dancing for arousal. <laughs> exactly You that. can get through life never being challenged. Whereas, like, it's just, I mean, I think... My favourite audience members, and, and bear in mind, I don't know if I'm this kind of audience member. I watch Fast and the Furious. I sometimes <laughs> like to know what I'm getting with my entertainment. So I don't know if I'm the kind of audience member that I like, but <laughs> the kind of audience member that I like are the ones who are just like, you go, what brought you? And they're like, yeah, took a chance. Yeah. Didn't know what to Thought expect. Give it a go. You're like, whoa. You know, maybe I read a review, thought it sounded good, but... Or, yeah, I mean, obviously, word of mouth recommended. That's nice to hear. But yeah. the, it's the ones who just go, oh, yeah, I thought I'd give a new thing a go. Uh, amazing. Amazing. I have so much respect for those and people. And these people would probably go and see a puppetry show as well. And they'd so see a puppetry show, and it might be terrible, and it might be good. And, and But the willingness to take that risk. And I'm working on a new bit of material at the moment about Netflix, about re how Netflix recommends you things that you might like based on the things that you already like. To so ever-decreasing circles of influence in a yeah, lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, why not? I mean, we are the species that invented Russian roulette. <laughs> like, assume we're willing to take some risk. Yeah. You know, let us in. Let us... Just give me something that's out of the box completely... Like a wild card. But then for that, and this is where I was lucky with Netflix, I 
we had a, a chipped account from Australia, mm. so I could get two or three different people's Netflix and go, oh, am I in a Greg Fleet mood or a Craig Egan mood or a Jason Pestle mood? And well, you can bad. sort of, that's you know, cherry pick taste. from other people's tastes. Yeah, let, let other people say. But then because of these, like, the more algorithms there are like this, the more, because you're moving in the same circles as Greg Fleet, you're going to be exposed to the same sort of things as Greg Fleet. It'll, yeah. it'll become you a You start to a think like a Greg Fleet in the same way that Facebook is full of my lefty cool friends. Which is why it seems like such a shock when the election results When the election go. results come in, and you go, well, according to Facebook, it was a landslide for the Labors, so how are liberal in? Yeah, and then... Then you start thinking, oh, maybe I have a very narrow corridor of friends. Well, I have had this thing, and this is one of the reasons why I do this particular podcast and ask people for ideas that they've been wrestling with and challenging ideas, because mm -hmm. your natural inclination is to stick with things that make you feel good. And it's really uncomfortable to be confronted with things that you do desperately don't agree with or the things that make you angry or things that, like, complicate your perceptions of the world, make you question your ideas about stuff. Mm. It's really uncomfortable. And so I've, like, deliberately cultivated this so that I can come into contact with things that I'm like, oh, I don't know what I think about that. ideas that don't sit squarely yeah, yeah i don't want everything to slot neatly i don't want to have a lego brain you know i don't want that i don't want to have a completely coherent block of lego with every join kind because that means there's no room for any new ideas to get in you have a fort you've built a fortress and you think about how certain you were of things as in at various points in your life uh, that turned out to be wrong because we so readily rewrite history and, and, and sort of pretend that we've always been the same person and essentially we were always moving towards this point and which is interesting because that's the narrative of something you'd see on Netflix rather than real life. Yeah, you go, oh, there's definitely a, an end scene to this. There's a there's a finale and a conclusion, you know, and it will be satisfying. You were about somebody or something, and yeah. you knew that they were never going to be wrong. First time you realise that your parents could be wrong, <laughs> and now you're like, fucking obviously to everyone's fallible. To find vulnerability and fallibility is is a, you know that's that's a moment where I think innocence is lost as a child when you go, oh wow. And you My just parents you have really stuffed this up. Yeah, and then you, you have to rewrite history and be like, oh, yeah, but of course I know that everybody is fallible. Yeah, and then you you go, luckily God is looking over everyone, and then you get to an age where you go, I don't think there's a God. Yeah. Oh, who's in charge? And then now, And though, then you realise it's the liberals. Now, <laughs> despite the fact that you remember being that person, you look at somebody who believes in God and think, well, they're an idiot. Not anymore. Right. I used to, but now I'm rethinking that as yeah. well, and I realise that there is... A necessity for it. For some people, they do. Yeah. And it's, it's, I just think it's so important, at least for me, to avoid certainty. To try and keep all of my ideas shaken around in the frying pans and other than the stick. Right. You know, like I just keep things disrupted, keep things uncomfortable, keep things... So a Teflon worldview. Yeah, just keep, just keep things <laughs> moving, always entertain new ideas. And, and I mean, that's dangerous in the world today because inevitably at some point I'm going to say something on this podcast or on Twitter or something. I've said that a few unguarded yep. things that I'm, you know, really keen get to get deleted. It's going to get trouble. <laughs> but I, I just think it's... I want to say things that I don't mean... Or I'm not sure or just if I try mean an them, idea on to size. Them out. See, yeah, exactly. And then just that. go, oh no, that doesn't Ooh, that fit doesn't at all. Fit me. That doesn't suit me. That Pop it back on the rack. And 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 that Paul Graham idea of loosely held identity. If somebody says, Oh, are you a Buddhist or are you a feminist? Or I'll always say, Well, sort like mm. I am in this way and not in that way and and uh, you know, I'm I'm But that means because you know, people like the security of, of belonging to tribes. Yeah. Be it the feminists or the Buddhists, you know, two very disparate tribes and <laughs> certainly a war I would love to watch. <laughs> so <laughs> passive aggression on one side. <laughs> and just passive, passive, just passive on the passive other. Just passive, passive on the other. It was a slow war, but yeah. nuanced. Slow, uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of hugging for a war, really. Yeah, if anything, they were quite conciliatory on both sides. <laughs> well, I mean, if you take the word of Twitter, feminists are angry people who want to kill all men. Hashtag. Male tears. Is that feminists or misandrists? I, I get them mixed oh up. God knows. I mean, certainly the internet does get yeah. them mixed up. Well, the internet is, of course, that weird prism that, that sort of focuses certain types of light from any argument and, and distorts it, I think. Phenomenally so. And to the point, uh, it's a weird thing how selective people are about what's real and what's not. 
mm. in terms of like, oh, I was just saying it doesn't matter. It's just on the internet or they take something immensely personally yeah. within a second or two seconds. See, I'm really lucky that I, I've yet to be properly trolled and I yet nearly everyone I know has been. And I've I feel also like I'm missing out. not really been properly trolled. I've been very lucky. Despite Should we just troll each other just to see how it goes? Just to see how it goes. Just give each other a hard time. Anonymously, I'll create a new account. I mean, I tend, I'm very trigger happy on the block button. Even if someone says something that slightly annoys me. No, just I, I just leave them to, I, I, I treat them as, as um, bushfires in the outback. They will eventually burn themselves <laughs> out and I it doesn't really concern the me. The other magical thing is a mute button. I've muted people before. Yeah. yeah. I'll mute and block. Mute and block, depending on the the crime. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just if anyone's even just gets my goat I a little bit. I think mute and block are quite good forms of justice to be meted out. because They're going to be my two sidekicks. Kind of victimless. Mute and block when I'm uh, when I am uh, the cut-price Disney villain that I was always meant to be. <laughs> I'm going to have two sidekicks and they'll be called right. mute and block. Where can people find you online? They can find me online. Uh, if if they are ambulant people in the real world, they can come and see me at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival as well, yes. where they can see me wrestle with the, is dementia funny? Is there a funny side to a degenerative disease? And I hope the answer is yes. Or they can look at all my gig lists on www.gordonsouthern.com. Gordon, Gordon as in gin, southern as in comfort. It's a very alcoholic... It's a beverage-based name. Beverage-based name. Congratulations to your parents. <laughs> um, thank you for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. It's You're been really good You're having tea fun. with Alice.